So we started in chapter 12 last week. Uh, we covered three quarters of that chapter. And the chapter began and really gave us the real focus of the entire chapter from Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And I remind you of what the writer of Hebrews teaches us here. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And we remember the great cloud of witnesses are all of those in chapter 11 that had walked a life of such faith that God proclaims them men and women of great faith. These are the cloud of witnesses. Today, the cloud of witnesses for us not only is, is the, are those folks from the old covenant, but all of the saints in the new covenant who journeyed through the same flesh, flesh and blood struggles that you and I struggle through with the grace of God that they were so great in their faith. And what does that mean? They became less, Jesus became great in their lives. Since as those running a race, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we talked about laying aside all earthly care. All earthly care are the things of this world that we pay more attention to than God. That we pursue more than God. And they weigh us down. We joked a little bit about the marathon runner. You know, we talked about what, what is a marathon runner where, and somebody commented last week, not much. And that's actually true. You look at these marathon runners these days. They're in 1970 short shorts and they're, you know, you know what I'm saying? But they wear extremely light clothes. And those fabrics that they use now are moisture wicking, so it, it, it gets the heat off of them and actually keeps them more cool as they run. In the same way, we're to cast aside every, every weight of this world, every sin that entangles us. And because what the weight of this world, our attention focused on the things temporal, not finite, not eternal, or finite, not eternal. When we focus on those things, it's like running the marathon with a bag of bricks on our back. And we know this. We know this. Okay, so let us cast aside, lay aside every weight. Running the race, how? Looking unto Jesus, our eyes fixed upon him, who also ran a race who for the joy set before Him, looking through the cross, endured the cross for what was on the other side. There was something for Him and for Him to offer on the other side of the cross. And so He pressed through the endurance race of the life and the cross to open the door of salvation for us all. In the same way we run the race looking to Jesus, we run the race for what's on the other side. And remember this, please remember, the other side does not mean when our spirit leaves our body. The other side is every step of healing work that God does in our life and we're released from such things. We press through, we press through for the joy of what's on the other side. And so now we come to the conclusion of Hebrews chapter 12. And we begin with uh, verses 18 through 24. Who, who had that? Thank you. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest 
and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than that speaks better things than that of Abel. Thank you. We have seen the writer in Hebrews many times over draw comparisons of that which was not fulfilled in the old covenant, pointing to that which is fulfilled in the new covenant. In fact, it's the theme of the entire book. And we've looked at a number of these, okay? So, for example, the Old Testament priesthood we find fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ who becomes our eternal, once and for all, great high priest, offering up himself as the sacrifice, his blood before the Father. He fulfills all the sacrifices and all of the priestly role in all of the Old Covenant. We've talked about that. We've also talked about the Old, Old Testament tabernacle, the place where men and women would meet with God. Okay? The Old Testament tabernacle and the sacrifices there are fulfilled also in the person of Jesus Christ, the one to whom all of that pointed. We went through that extensively. And we're now given yet another Old Covenant example of something that happened back with God's people under Moses that is quite different because it has been fulfilled and bettered and made eternal for the salvation of mankind. And it goes back to the story of when God first brought His people out of Egypt into the Sinai region. They passed through the waters where their enemy was destroyed. They entered into the wilderness and came into the Sinai region where Mount Sinai was. And they had an experience there because God Himself through Moses invited the people to come to the base of the mountain to meet with Him directly. To hear Him directly so that He might be their God and He may be their people. And so He gives this experience. He says, you have not come to that mountain in the Old Covenant, Mount Sinai. You've not come to that. Rather, you've come to Mount Zion. So let's explore the difference. But the only way we can know the difference is to look at that first experience that the Hebrew people had. And that comes from both Exodus chapters 19 as well as 20. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you snippets of that experience so that you get an idea of what the, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews is expressing that we have not come to. Okay, I start in Exodus chapter 19. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day, when they came to the wilderness of Sinai, for they had departed the Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people 
and consecrate them today and tomorrow. And let them wash their clothes. And let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. Now I want you to remember this imagery. Listen to the imagery we're giving. We come, they're invited to come to the mountain, but before they come, what are they told to do? First thing, what'd you hear? Wash. Consecrate yourselves. For no one can approach God unclean. Obviously, anytime you see consecrate yourselves, and you see even in the temple worship, that Old Testament pattern where the priests and the people, there were literally bathhouses where people could bathe themselves before entering in to make their offerings and to worship God. And of course, what does this point to? Our baptism. For we cannot be in union with God but by the washing of God through the waters of baptism, being put to our sin nature being put to death and risen in the resurrected Christ. So he says, Consecrate yourselves before today and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothes. And then he says, And let them be ready for the third day. Obviously, there's absolutely no imagery there for us, right? Of course. The third day, God is going to descend upon the mountain and be with His people. Okay? So this is what they're told to do. I continue. Then it came to pass on the third day, in the morning, that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, the sound of the trumpet. I'm going to stop here. Don't let me just read to you. Picture this experience. Take time to draw something in your, in your imagination on this, okay? Because he's given you words to describe something. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. Did you catch that? Mount Sinai completely in smoke, because the Lord descended. They would have seen this. The Lord descended upon the mountain in fire. In fire. Isn't that an unbelievably awesome, wondrous, frightening scene? There is no way not to put the word frightening into this scene. For these Hebrew people, even though they had seen God do such tremendous things, the way that He came to them was awesome, wondrous, and frightening. But let me ask you a question. Be the Hebrew people for a second. Be the Hebrew people not filled with the Holy Spirit. Just coming out of Egypt, they have approached this mountain and they witness all of this. Are you rushing up to touch the mountain like you were told not to? What's going on? What would be going on in you? I'm asking that. Go ahead. 
scared to death. Scared to death. Thank you. God bless you. Yes. Right. Fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. I, I will say awestruck as part of that. Well, they had foreknowledge. You know, he told them what's going to be happening, so they knew that would be. Didn't say what it would look like. No, it, but it, it would be the signs of, of God, so they would have that in their mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whether they could really hold their hearts there or not, mm-hmm. well, that's the thing. Because I, we know this too. I mean, we know this too. Yep. Yep. Exactly. It's, it's, it's the truth. It's scary. It's the truth. Well, I mean, that's good. Some people, including myself, would run away. <laughs> so let's carry on to what they did. <laughs> now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that His fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. And so we have this scene described in the first part of today's Hebrew passage. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire. In other words, the physical mountain they came to. And to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words. So that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. They were so filled with fear. Let's, I'm going to give them a ton of, of credit for what they were deficient in. Because you have to remember that the Hebrew people were deficient in union with God. Union with God. They had no union with Him. Right? The Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out that joins us through baptism, washing away sin, filling us with grace, the divine energies of God, to be joined to Him and to overcome sin. They had not received that great grace. And so they come to the mountain with that deficiency, and their response is absolutely what our response would have been in the moment. In the weaknesses of our flesh, in the full knowledge of our sinfulness, standing before a holy God where there's thunder and lightning and His words sound like a trumpet blasting. And so the people said, Moses, you talk to Him. You talk to Him. We'll listen to what you say. You bring His word. We're stepping back. And that was the decision that they made at that time. And God said, let it be. Thy will be done, my people. So Moses would go back up and he would receive from God. So what have we come to? We who are filled with the Holy Spirit, joined to the Holy Trinity, and joined to one another because of that. The writer of Hebrews says, But you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to Mount Zion. i got to tell you what that is, to be clear. It's the same word that's used for Mount Moriah. Okay? Mount Moriah is the place where uh, Abraham offered up Isaac. It's the place where the Temple Mount would become. 
It's the place where all the sacrifices would be done. It's the very place where our Lord, the city that our Lord would come to, right? And so on and so forth. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. This is an incredible picture that's being painted to us. Let's break this down a little bit. I already talked about the 22nd verse. You've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. We are no longer approaching a physical mountain to meet with God. We're approaching an eternal one. And we are called and allowed to approach. And in fact, remember we are told even in Hebrews that we are to come in boldness before the throne of grace. Isn't that what the Hebrew people could not do? Not arrogance. Boldness. Not confident in ourselves. Not without knowledge of our sin. Not without holy and reverent awe and fear. That's not what it says. Remember that boldness. The boldness is founded not in us, but in Christ. Who stands as God and man eternally in between us and the Father. That's why we approach God at the holy mountain of Zion. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and His continuing and eternal ministry in the heavenlies. Verse 23 tells us, You've come, you come, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. All those who are born by rebirth by the Holy Spirit and through Jesus Christ. Who are registered in heaven to the God, excuse me, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. Archbishop Dimitri says this in his commentary. He says, the picture painted here is one of great rejoicing in which angels and men, both in heaven and earth, join together in the fellowship and praise of God. That's what we come to. That's what we come to. And it says, the spirits of just men made perfect. You've come to that. What does that mean? What is beyond the veil here? Our whole journey in Christ, the church teaches that blessed theology, theosis. The imperfect made perfect by the perfect God who gives His divinity to our humanity. You see? He gifts us with all that He is. That we might be drawn beyond what we currently are to become what He is. And as we become every step of our journey, like our God, there is a great growth in the experience of all the benefits of the kingdom of God in our life now and eternal. And in the eternal, the finer, the final, as if by that purifying fire... We are made perfect by God who is perfect. That we all stand before Him. So he's telling these Hebrew Christians, should you remain in the faith, you don't come to the mountain that your ancestors came to that they had to stop and turn around and go away and not have direct fellowship with God. That is not, that is not 
what the finished work of Christ availed for you. You have come by being filled with the Holy Spirit to the mountain of God that is eternal. And beyond this life, you will be presented before the spirits of just men made perfect. Made perfect by the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation being a gift of God that no one could earn. Don't turn away. Don't turn away. Press through this. Run this race. He's can remember the, the continuation of the thought is running the race for the joy set before us. What's the joy set before us? He's painting us the picture right now. He's showing us both in the today and in the forever what this looks like. That indeed all earthly care can be laid aside. And our entire life can be interwoven in all the benefits of the kingdom of God that come from this mountain, Mount Zion. Where God meets with His people and they are one with Him. And He shares Himself with us always. And it says that we have come in verse 24 to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. And here we find again the reason we can even draw to this mountain and go up the mountain as Moses did and commune with God. By the way, always remember, the picture being painted here has everything to do with our Christian life. I want you to remember what Moses was like when he came down from that mountain. Because he went up into that mountain where he fellowshiped with God. He saw God's finger write the law on the side of the mountain. He heard His voice. He stood in the presence of the glory of God that the people feared to come to. And when He came down the mountain, and He didn't even know it, that's what I love about this. He didn't even know it, but Aaron, who was waiting for Him, and Aaron's family, Moses, your face, your face is shining. It's glorious. And Moses doused his face and walked down because he knew it would scare the people. But what I love about that is, and always remember this, those who stand in the glory of God and fellowship with Him and grow in His likeness, it's not for us to go about thinking, oh, how I've grown in His likeness. Moses didn't know it, but he was radiating with the glory of God. So may we, in humility, walk through this life, growing in the glory of God from the fellowship that we have obtained there in the meeting of the mountain that we have at all times. We've come to Jesus Christ, our mediator, and we just described that, where He is always standing in between us and God. What is He doing? He's beckoning us, like Moses did, to come as mediator. Come. Before the Father. And at the same time, he's praying to the Father, Lord, have mercy on those who have come because I've called them. Do you get that? That's why we come with boldness. That's why we come with boldness, and only for that reason. And then he says something interesting about Jesus Christ. We have the comparison of Christ's blood to the blood of Abel. I'll read that to you again. He says, You have come to Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than that of Abel. Who was Abel? Who remembers who Abel was? Cain's brother. brother. What happened to Abel? Killed by who? Cain. 
Cain was jealous of Abel's ex- his gift. His offering was accepted to God. Cain's was not. Okay? So in his jealousy, he spills his own brother's blood and kills him. The blood of an innocent. Listen to what Archbishop Dimitri says about this. Although Abel's blood was that of the innocent victim who was unjustly murdered by his brother, his blood could only cry out for vengeance. The blood of Christ proclaims forgiveness, reconciliation, and invites all mankind to partake of it. Isn't that fascinating? I love that. This blood that Jesus Christ has offered, shed, and offered on behalf of all, it doesn't cry out for vengeance. It cries out for mercy. It cries out for every one of us who struggle in our besetting sins every day of our life. The blood of Christ doesn't cry out for vengeance. It pleads the mercy of God on your behalf, on my behalf. That's who we've come to. Who has Hebrews 12, 25 through 29? Please. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us, by, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Okay, we have a little bit again. We've heard this tone before with the writer of Hebrews. Remember what he's doing. This is a mixture of revelation of who God is in the person of Jesus Christ, all that Christ has done, to Hebrew Christians that are turning away from Christ. They're turning away from Christ because they are fearing martyrdom and suffering and imprisonment, and they're turning back to their old ways. Remember, these are Hebrew Christians, so what's the ways they're turning back to? The Hebrew ways, if not their old sin patterns in life. And if you remember correctly, once before, he came with a stern warning to them. He said, if Jesus Christ fulfilled all of those sacrifices that were done all the time, none of which could completely suffice for the forgiveness of your sins. And Jesus Christ has once and for all shed his own blood for you. If you turn away from him, what other sacrifice is there for you? Nothing. Nothing. That was the point. It was a harsh statement. He's making another harsh statement as he's beginning to conclude his letter. He's saying, just like those in the Old Testament, what did they do? They refused the voice of God to them directly. They said, I'm going away. Moses, you talk with God. Come talk to me later. I'll listen to God through you and that's it. Was he saying, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused Him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we escape if we turn away from Him who speaks from heaven? That is our Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God. He's calling them back. And He says, there is going to come a time where everything about this earth and everything that has any 
hint of the fall will be shaken to pieces. And all that will be left is the things eternal. What do you want? What do you want? So that the things that cannot be shaken would remain. And that's all things holy and perfect. The way that God ordered the entire universe from the very beginning. And then he says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. By which we may serve God acceptably and with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. Now this idea here. When it says, let us have grace, by which grace being the power of God, the energies of God to become more like Him, to overcome sin and so on. Grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. That word service is in the neighborhood of the Greek word liturgia. The whole scene that's been per- that has been painted for us is the picture of the worship of God on Mount Zion eternal. Where angels and men have gathered together in that incredible fellowship with God. Offering up the praise and thanksgiving of God. In fact, let me read to you what Archbishop Dimitri says about this scene. And we'll conclude with this. He says, the eternal kingdom of heaven, which has been the theme of Christ's preaching and the content of his followers' hope, is the unshakable, indestructible thing that will remain when everything else passes away. The kingdom is present because of God's sojourn among men. But its full realization belongs to the age to come. In the church, the kingdom is participated in by the, faith, by the faithful in this life. And the church is the ship of salvation, the destination of which the kingdom to come. So that the Christian may persevere and overcome all obstacles and not fall away from the church, which is the worshiping assembly of the faithful. He must have or hold fast to the grace that has been given him. The writer of Hebrews concludes this part of the letter, not the 12th chapter, there are no chapters. He concludes this part of the letter calling them back to their absolute eternal purpose. Again, we've heard him say, don't forsake the gathering, and we talked about why that is. Because in the gathering, Satan is thrown down and life is granted. Liturgia, the liturgy. You may remember... When I did, I think it was a 16-week series called The Mass in Our Life in Christ, within a year that I've been here, the very first image that I gave you that the church teaches us is that the liturgy is is an ascension of the mountain. And it all comes to the fulfilled imagery. We come at the base and the whole liturgy, we are moving up by grace to meet with God at that great and pinnacle event where we are right there before God and He becomes flesh and blood through bread and wine that we might touch Him and bring Him into ourselves. Everything revolves around this image for the Christian walk. The journey always upward, the constant ascension of the soul to where God is so perfectly and lovingly invited by God and graced to get there. Because your God wants you to Himself. Let's stand.